Last year we spent uh, a number of months, it was spread out, looking at um, all aspects of our relationship with one another and with God. And um, towards the end of the year, I wanted to summarize it and conclude it. And, and the dates got moved around. And then all of a sudden, the date that I was going to preach around this time was in Remembrance Sunday. And I thought, well, I can't, I can't really bring that this now. There were other things I felt God wanted us to speak about. And, and so, in some ways, although we're going to be looking at relationships again in a, in a few months' time, it kind of really concludes. And, and this morning, I want to look at three aspects that kind of cover all of the things that we touched on um, around relationship. Because one of the things that Katie prayed is God is love. God is love. And this morning, I kind of want to look at the other side of a few things. Because you can get a truth, but then if you take that truth out of context, or if you overemphasize it, it becomes an error. And, and I had this view, and I, I read an article that almost said the same thing. And when somebody else says what you say, it's like, wow, it must be true. But we do pendulum. We do swing from one side to the other. And we go these crazy extremes. And we take a truth or a flavor of the month and we just emphasize it and emphasize it. And then it becomes wrong. And then someone says, hang on a minute, this isn't quite right. So we swing all the way on the other side because we talk over here with the goal of trying to get here. But we talk over here and then actually we swing this way. And what's interesting is that when a pendulum is exhausted of its own kinetic energy, its own energy from swiping, it just, it just hangs true and straight. And it reminds me of the scripture, I think it's in Joshua. Do not turn, or to keep the analogy, do not swing to the left, to the right, not political statements. But actually meditate on the word of God and keep true. And so actually I'm going to talk about some things, but it's not so we go over the other side and create an error there. But where do we start with? Why do relationships matter? Why do that as, as a series? Let's just look at 1 John 4, 7-1. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who is born... Let me just... Okay, actually, I'm going to read it in the New King James. But let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Katie reminded of us of that in her prayer. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Later on it goes on to say, if we love one another, God abides in us. If we love, God abides. The uh, the NLT, oh, there we go puts it this way. Was that up on the screen? Have you read it? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love one another. 
Why look at relationships matter? Because God says in his word that if I love you, surely you are to love one another. Let's look at another scripture, Mark 12, 29 to 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commitment is greater than these. Paul then brings this up again in Galatians. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If actually you truly get that and you live that out, actually you fulfill the whole of the law. Wow. Wow. This is huge. I've written it down, so it must be true. This is huge, as this morning as I started to type. Just think about it. The whole law is fulfilled if we truly seek to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Our relationships with one another matter. They're important. They actually point, point out God within us. They point out God within us, and they shout to others, there's something different about us. Amen. Over the series, we looked at a number of different areas. We looked at forgiveness, holiness, unity, our call to shine, love your, your, your enemies, am I my brother's keeper? We looked at conflict. We looked at the power of the tongue among many, many others. The key here is that we press on into growing in these areas. It will not happen unless we diligently seek the Lord and, deter- and determine to submit to him in these areas. Because actually a lot of what we looked at was counterintuitive to the way the world actually tells us to be when it calls about relationships. Why? If God is love and growing in love makes you more like God, then the enemy isn't going to like it as we seek to actually do relationships well, to express love, and that causes us to look more like God, then the enemy is going to try and trip us up. Relationships and the way we do them is changing. And actually, it's to understand that in that change, what are we losing, and is what are we losing good, and actually do we need to make a course correction? We no longer call, we text if we do call, we seek, commission, we seek permission that now is a convenient time. We no longer drop in, but we arrange appointments. We pull back when things are getting busy or tough. We step forward when something can be gained from it. The way we do relationships and the way we connect with each other is changing. And it's to find what is the good in it and what is not the good. I had an old friend connect with me on Facebook, Ben Hogan. And I was a bit unsure because I kind of looked in, and you have to kind of check out, and I was gosh, where's this person come from? And he'd only created his profile quite recently. Was it somebody trying to get in? He got a few of my, my other friends. What an incredible tool that allows me to connect with someone that I'd not seen for or spoken to for 30 years. And we started to communicate. What an incredible tool. But don't let that tool be the only way I seek to connect with Ben. Another chap just found me out of nowhere. What an incredible tool. But actually, relationships are far deeper than just accepting a friend request on Facebook. Secular um, 
We need to move or we need to make sure that our relationships are bigger than transactional. In fact, we need to move from transactional relationships to transformational relationships. Isn't that what our relationship with Christ is to be? Secular understanding has nothing to do with, with Christianity, but listen to what they say. Transactional relationships are by nature optimized around getting the most you possibly can in exchange for as little as possible on your part. They are all about you and what you can get and not about what you can give. But wow. This morning as we close the series for a while, I want to look at three areas that I believe we really need to push into and work against because, the, because the, the flow of the world is strong in these areas and it will pull us away. Philippians 3, have I put that up? No. Philippians 3, 12 to 14 says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting these things which are behind and reaching forward to these things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That word press is to actually work against something, a flow and a tide. And actually there's times when we have to be aware of where the tides are when we need to press in so we don't get blown or swept away. The first area I think is really, really important is that area of unity. Do you remember we talked about tribes and clans? Got us talking about a bit like that. A clan might be the group that you go to, where everybody's come to, uh, to do craft. I was here on Friday morning and craft cafe were doing. That's a clan. They've come together because they've got a common like and they're sitting there and knitting and doing all sorts of crafty things. Craft things. <laughs> you know, that's a clan. This morning, the tribes come together. The tribe has come together, all made up of different plants, purely for the purpose of being together, seated around the one that we've come here for. Amen? The Hebrew tribes had a greater sense of unity than we seem to do today. Our Western culture can't help but place us first. The unity we often seek for is a like-minded thought or behavior to that of our own. You like what I like? We're in unity. You do what I do? We're in unity. Our unity first starts off in Christ. Do you remember as well the analogy of the tuning fork? Um, I've forgotten the, the writer um, whose analogy I pinched it from. But he said, actually, how do we all get in unity? And he said, right, I've got two pianos. How are they perfectly tuned to one another? And he says, they tune to the tuning fork. And actually their focus is on making sure they're in complete harmony and they're resonating with the tuning fork. Therefore, two pianos that have never met each other, that have never had a conversation before, when both of them are tuned to the tuning fork, they're in perfect harmony. 
Interesting thing is you get two guitars, because I'm a guitarist, believe it or not, and you can tune them to each other and they sound like perfect harmony and they're playing and it sounds wonderful and perfect and then all of a sudden the keyboard comes in that is actually the place where we take the steer from and has been tuned correctly and you realise that these two guitars that seemed by themselves to be perfectly in tune are actually not. The analogy is we seek to become more like Christ. What did I, I write here? Um, likewise, when we focus on becoming more like Christ, when we meet with fellow Christians, there should be harmony. John 17, 23, I do not pray for those alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory with which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus says again that when there is unity, the world will know that actually you, God, has sent me. However, I never have known anything like church to bring a set of diverse and different set of people together. There are people I naturally gel with and there are people I don't. This is the key and this is the thing to work on. To work at being as one with those people who have also chosen to make Jesus Christ Lord of their lives and are committed to working out his teachings. I think you can be a Christian in today's world and not be that. Let me say it again. The thing to work at is being one with those people who have chosen to make Jesus Christ Lord of their lives and are committed to working out his teachings in their lives. And when I, especially when I don't naturally gel with them. Because actually, if we're both seeking to work out Jesus in our lives, and just like the tuning fork, actually when we meet, even if we have nothing, any other likes in common, we're just in harmony. We're just in harmony. The second area which I want to touch on here that I believe causes us to drive into unity through relationship is bringing the tribe together. He's coming to church there is not a minister I've spoken to that doesn't comment on the fluctuation of church attendance. Is it one in three, one in four? It's probably more like three on, now I can take two off. There are a myriad of good reasons why I find it difficult to come every week, we might say. We live in a seven-day-a-week work ethic. Sundays are becoming like any other day for social activities. It's a lie that you are only a good Christian if you come to church every week. It's a lie. I can miss a week and still be a good Christian, so I do. Life is busy. What I often find is that we can find time for the things that we see are a priority in our lives. Because we now realise that it's not going to church every week that makes you right before God, growing in your faith or even doing good things. So we've let that not become a priority. Church leaders of old wrongly kind of talked about the fact that if you're not here every week, then maybe you're not a good Christian. It's wrong. It's error. 
you know, and we realize that when we come out of duty or because we've had our arm twisted, it actually never, never brings life. And actually, I can have a good and fulfilling relationship with God actually outside of coming here every week. It's true. So we simply don't talk about it at all. You know, I really think it's good to actually say, we go to church. And to actually make coming together. Because actually, there are different clans made up here today. You know, I have got a growing family who loved crafts. It drives me mad. There's glitter all over the kitchen. There's cuttings out everywhere. I just don't do crafts. But man, when, when we come together as a tribe... Seated around him, there's something good and right about it. And the discipline of making it a priority, of making room to come every week, I just think, maybe I can't pinpoint it, where's the scriptural references, Ben? But there's something that is good that says, actually, I could do with not coming this morning, but I will anyway. Don't go, don't swing the other way. Amelia has started to go to dance. It's something... Her, her grandma has sorted her out, and she's, and, and she's um, practicing for a, is it a play, a dance, a, a show, a show. And guess when it is? Guess. April the 7th. Will we be there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, don't misread this. In fact, actually, in a few months' time, we'll be coming into the seven or eight weeks where it's like every child in Chilcote School has got a birthday that invites our kids to. And what day do they put it on? And you know, sometimes you say, actually, we're not going to do that because the seventh week in a row just isn't good. Because you know what? We go to church. Samuel, he's just got an incredible gift for drama and he's involved in Holly, uh, Hollywood? Ha <laughs> ha! In Hall Green Little Theatre. And when he's involved in a play, they rehearse on a Saturday and a Sunday. We talked to him and we agreed. We don't, we go to church on Sundays. So we spoke to him and said, Can you accommodate this? He said, Absolutely. But when it's the first few weeks leading up to it, yeah, the last few weeks leading up to it, we really need it. We do a technical rehearsal on Sunday. Is he there? Absolutely. But the point is, is that genuinely we guard the time and we guard the space and we come. I can see the emails now. Get the balance. Get the balance. And there's something, do you know what? I've started to go to the gym. I know you can't tell yet. It's a long story and it's quarter to 12. Yeah, you know, but I tell you something, when I go, I never feel like going, but when I get there, the endorphins kicked in. Sometimes I go on my lunch and I come back and I go to the staff and say, right, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's pray for Jesus because I'm like really energized. Father, let when we come here together as a church, Father God, let us be energized in that way. Why do I like, um, hold on, let me just catch up. Doing anything out of duty or, or obligation isn't actually going to bring me, me life. We've done that. How many parents have known what is best for our children when they've not wanted to go somewhere? But we know if they go and they choose to enter in, they actually really, really enjoy it. Don't misread me, as I said. There are times when it just isn't possible. But actually, coming together and making room to come together as a tribe, I think there's something deeply spiritual that helps grows us and forms us. And sometimes it's hard. The preacher went on and on and on. They sang all songs from the 80s. 
And the one song that I really connect with, I didn't do in a man key. I couldn't sing it. I came dead on half ten and there was no, there was no new sheets left and some new person sat in my seat. Hey, and actually when we come when it doesn't work and when we seek to find the good in what might have been not so great, there's something that grows within us. Do you hear my heart? What was that? Yes, okay. The, the other area, forgiveness. Now you might say that you fully understand the importance of forgiveness. You've seen the wonderful healing experience of people who've chosen to forgive. I don't know about you, but I've seen the you, 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 YouTube clips of mothers or wives who have suffered in terrible loss of their husbands or sons in the apartheid. And you've seen the incredible clips where the person that may have murdered their husband under the government's guidance comes in and now seeks forgiveness and the wonderful harmony and the freedom that it's created. Do you know what? Forgiveness and the good it does within us is universal. I've seen incredible stories of non-Christians who have forgiven, of Muslims who have chosen to forgive, of atheists. And it's the same thing. It's this releasing sense that goes on when we choose to forgive. It's incredible. So why is it key? First of all, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen? Anybody know what the, the next bit says? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. Whoa. No Greek is going to help us out with that. It just means that. Can I tell you a story? I want to tell you a story of my a journey these last four or five months with forgiveness. You may remember Sally's workshop. Was it back in September? Where are you? She's gone. There you are. Back in September, um, doing some of these freedom things. And I, I... I made it a priority to go. I'm going to be honest. It was my first priority is was that it was a workshop we're doing out of some of the stuff that we were teaching, and my first priority was to port Sally, and I knew the material's good, but I didn't go because I thought actually I really need this. But I'm being a good pastor, and I'm there, and Sally's talking us through the stuff, and she's talking about forgiveness, and she's saying, "Now just let Holy Spirit speak to you about if there are any forgiveness issues." And I, I'm sitting there and I thought, yes, I, I will do this. And all of a sudden, God puts a finger on a very, very dear friend. Before you try and think, oh, you, you've not met them and you don't know them, so release. <laughs> We're going to call him Bert. And I realized that I was really upset with Bert. And I thought, okay, I'm going to forgive. You know, and said, so okay, I forgive. And it's just something that wouldn't let me. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, so what's that about? 
And God and I have got this really good relationship. And I went, oh, flip. I'm offended. Oh, now I'm going to have to deal with that. So I'm talking to God and Sally's going on. Sally's continuing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking to God. I'm going, oh, why, don't I want, why don't I want to forgive, Lord? Why don't I want to forgive? And God says to me, Benny, you want them to know that they've hurt you. I said, okay, okay. He says, can you let me deal with that? Okay, Lord, this is true. I'm not just being funny here. I said, can I watch? <laughs> no, Ben. Okay, can you let me know when you've told them how much they've hurt me? No, Ben. Can you forgive? Okay, okay. I know the teaching. I'm pastor. I don't have a choice. Okay, I'm going to forgive. Can you simply forgive and leave that with me? So I tried to forgive. I spoke it out. I shared it in LAH. Again, it was halfway through their journey, but there was something here. It sat right there, and I knew it wasn't complete, and I knew it wasn't done, but I knew I needed to. And I would say, and, and people who'd heard it, I'd say, and I'm forgiving. And I remember Paul Miller, one of the last times he came, and I have time to tell you who he was, he said, sometimes you've got to speak out forgiveness again and again and again and again and again, and eventually it gets into your heart. And I thought, oh my word, that's it. And I would sometimes drive past this person's house and it would be there, and I'd pull back from them. You know, we weren't really talking or texting or anything at all, and and. Every now and again, I might do something, unless it came quite obvious, but there was something in there that was not right, but I said, I, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And then one day, it had gone. One day, it had gone. That feeling was known. I thought, oh my goodness, what Paul said was true. Just before Christmas, I went around to a friend's house to drop some presents off. And they were asking me, a very small group of people understood this issue because it had affected me deeply. A very small group of people um, were, were aware of this. I've said that. So they asked me about it. And I said, oh, and Harry Krishna, I said, it was incredible. There was this thing that sat there that I knew. And now it's completely gone. It's completely gone and it's wonderful. And I've really, truly forgiven. And I had. Then they started to talk to me how Bert, you know, had actually had a difficult life. And Bert had gone through some very terrible things. And really, it wasn't Bert's fault. And Bert was simply trying to do the right thing. And, and, and they weren't doing this, but there was still some stuff there. And what they began, or what I began to pick up, and really, Ben, really as a Christian and, and as a pastor, really, maybe you shouldn't have had an issue in the first place. And I realized something was just, and they didn't actually say that, but that's what I received. And I realized that something was just stirring up in me. It wasn't quite the same. So I'm driving home, and the car said, Oh, Lord, what's going on, Lord? It's not quite back, but I'm feeling, I, I, I'm not feeling good. What is going on? And he says to me, Ben, you, you, I said, Lord, have I forgiven? He says, yes, you, you, you have genuinely forgive. You have genuinely forgiven when you felt that those people that knew agreed you had been wronged. And then you were okay to forgive. And actually what's just happened is someone's questioned whether or not actually you'd really been hurt and it's raised some stuff. Oh God, what am I supposed to do now, Lord? Because I want to forgive. I didn't want this back and I could feel some of it was going on. I didn't want it back. So, so Lord, is there any scriptures that can help me? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 
Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He said, Ben, here's the issue. Can you forgive, actually, even if nobody thinks you were wronged in the first place? Can you forgive? And I said, Lord, and he gave me that scripture, and of course I butchered it because it was in my head. (laughs) Yeah, didn't quite come out like that. I said, yes, Lord, I just forgive. And that's my challenge this morning. It's easy. Look, the world can forgive when there's a recognition. Oh, you've been terribly wronged. You've been terribly, terribly wronged. And wow, you can forgive of that. It's the same poison of unforgiveness if I can't forgive because the person won't recognize they've wronged me. It's the same poison. What does the scripture say? If you cannot forgive men their trespasses against you, then I cannot, cannot forgive your trespasses. It's huge. That's the difference. The world will forgive when it's justifiable. Christ died when we were sinners. Think of the, the um, where is it? I think I got the scripture. You know, the, the, the unforgiving servant. He, he was forgiven of millions and millions, billions. We worked it out once because it gives you the talents and, the, and all, it was billions. And yet he couldn't forgive somebody now who, was, who owed him the equivalent of a year's salary. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have a knock-on effect to me if somebody owed me a year's salary. What's the point? It's not like it's the insignificant stuff. This was a significant thing that he couldn't forgive of. They could, you could have been rightly wronged, rightly abused, and nobody agrees, yet you still got to forgive. What's the balance? It does not mean that we should never go and talk to someone who has wronged us or, he, or, or, or even sinned against us. Not time now, but look at Matthew 18. 15, but it also doesn't mean that you have to go and speak to them every single time. Let's just have a quick look at the last area. Discipling one another. Christ calls us a body. Paul gives us the analogy of different members having different roles, but all important as we are one body in Christ. Christ places us in a family so we can walk out our Christian journey together. Yes, we will stand before God as individuals alone to give an account, but we have the beauty of being able to learn, lean on, learn from and support and love one another here on earth. It's a wonderful experience to know you have people around you who are supporting you. The specific support I'm talking about is in your walk with Christ. We speak words of encouragement. We love one another. We give acts of kindness. The Christian life, when we can love and support one another, is a wonderful joy. The last area I feel we need to grow in is allowing others to speak into our lives, to challenge and even to correct. Look at Paul's encouragement to Timothy. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favourable or not patiently correct, rebuke encourage your people with good teaching. I think this is important because our culture seems to be narrowing the opportunity we will allow people 
Let me say it as absolutely as highly as we can to see what comes up, that maybe, we may, that maybe we're walking wrong, that maybe we're going in the wrong direction, that maybe there's, some, there's a course correction that we need to make. Come on in, children, I'm wrapping up. Some of this stems from your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. They're not the same. That's how you see it, but I see it differently. Rights are a big part to play in today's culture. Have I given you the right to speak into my life? Have I given you permission? Do I think there is an element of that? I do think there's an element of that. I do think actually some people we've allowed to speak into our lives, but we need to get the right balance. Contemplate this. I am happy for you to say good and nice things about me and God to build me up and make me feel good. That's not encouragement. Speak a word. Tell me how you see me growing and developing. But I'm not happy if you say anything that is considered not good and not nice and maybe suggesting I need to look at my behavior. You're judging me. And the Bible tells us not to judge. This is a point I think we need to be careful in. Look what this scripture says. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrites. This is the bit we miss. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This Christian life demands everything. Demands that I let Jesus be supreme ruler over my life. That's what Lord means. We sang it. Not everything is good for me, Paul teaches us. Could could it... Count it joy when you go through trials. The Bible tells us the road is narrow. The Bible tells me I will be hated. In comparison, the world tells me if it feels right to you, then go and do it. If it doesn't feel right, don't. Avoid anguish, avoid pain, seek happiness. Do we really think we might never get swayed, even from time or even for a moment? Do we really think that we won't need somebody to help gently pull us back? Somebody gave me some feedback this week which was so valuable because I'd missed how I'd come across and they were nervous because they said I'd always get my words not wrong, not quite because your culture's strange and they shared me and I went, gosh, you're right. I need to address it in my life. And the hesitance was, who are you? I could have responded and said, who are you to say that about me? Let's look at you. The speck and the plank, they say it's the sawdust that often from... Scholars say it's from the, the, the same thing, so it's quite often that actually somebody's struggling in their life, you see the speck because you're struggling with, with the same thing. And then you want to go and speak to them about it, making it a huge log. Sometimes I think it's about the heart with which we go. Are we deeply concerned about my brother and sister's walk? And actually, can we see it being affected? haven't got time to tell you the story where I did a right thing for the wrong motive. And while that person was blessed, it will, not, it will be counted as nothing when God asked, I asked God about it. Lord, didn't you see this incredible thing that I did? It's Ben, but your motive was selfish. Your motive was to protect yourself and not see the other. 
Do we not do it right in gentleness and humility? Yes. If I'm going in the wrong direction, sometimes you say, well, if I'm going in the wrong direction, then God will tell me. He doesn't need you. Look at Numbers 22. God told Balaam not to go. Balaam kept going on and on again and again and again. So God said, go then. This is a fascinating story. Go then. I've got permission from God. The next line says, and God was not happy. Balaam goes. He gets on, on his donkey. And he's riding along. All of a sudden, his donkey stops. And he whacks his donkey. He's having a go at his donkey. He won't go. And his donkey speaks to him. Oh my goodness, not one of these scriptures that I'm going to find hard to really believe, hey? A donkey speaking, come on, Ben. Because the donkey can see this great big angel said, if you go that way, you're going to die. And the point is, if God can use a donkey to speak to us, then won't he sometimes use you and use me? He used somebody to gently and wonderfully speak to me even this week. And even if it's an, an allegory, yeah, the point is, is that someone we think shouldn't speak to us speaks to us and say, don't go that way. You're going to get killed. You're going to get killed. There's ways to do it. And relationship and the relationship you have with the individual does change how you can speak. But we seem to be all about permission. Who are you to speak into my life? Our lives, our journey is real. There is an enemy out there that is seeking to trip us up. Relationships matter. Relationships matter. So in wrapping this up, relationships matter because God is love and expects us to do likewise. If we are to grow in love towards one another, then there needs to be a conscious change taking some of these things into account. Our need to be together in unity no matter what, asking God to help us with forgiveness, allowing people to speak into our lives and having the boldness to, with humility and grace, speak into other people's lives. These things are challenging because the world actually pushes against some of these things. So I've got some different kind of questions for us to ponder. And they're very discussional based. How, how did it feel to be told we need to be diligent in attending church? Come on, tell him he's blooming wrong. Have a conversation in home group. What are the negative outcomes on focusing too much on coming every week? And what are the positives? Talk about forgiveness with others. Talk about forgiveness with other people. <laughs> how did you feel about simply letting a true wrong against you go without letting the person know they upset you? How do you feel about allowing someone to challenge you in your life? How can this be done well? And if it is hard to hear, was it necessarily wrong to voice it? There, there's a lot of other stuff. In fact, there's so much discussion that you could come out of that. It's not about now swinging to the other side. Yeah, you weren't here next week. Didn't you hear what Ben said? Didn't you hear it? It's not about swinging, but it's about living these things in balance and moving forward in the love of Christ that will speak to a myriad of people that we are different. Shall we pray?